there is a bit of a bizarre contradiction that some Trump conservatives have. On the one hand, they strongly support the Second Amendment, because it is important that the American people have the tools to resist the tyrannical government, and they are right to do so. But, on the other hand, they are unwilling to discuss Trump's treatment of the media and autocratic tendencies because, come on, you could never have an autocrat here. This is America. Look, I sympathize. Trump is not a dictator. That's an exaggeration. Autocracy, however, does not generally arrive overnight, and it can happen in any country, no matter what laws or constitutional rules you have. In fact, the only thing that differentiates autocratic governments and democratic governments is a strong and stable civil society. Most autocratic governments actually do have almost every right we have here constitutionally guaranteed. Only problem is, they either build in loopholes to these guarantees that allow them to bypass just about any constitutional impediment, or they just ignore constitutional guarantees altogether, since no one can do anything about it. In the United States, the power of the president is first and foremost checked by Congress and the judicial branch. You took high school civics. But you also probably know that that's not always enough to prevent the president from doing what he or she wants. Andrew Jackson famously ignored the Supreme Court's orders, and President Obama was rightly criticized for creative selection of which congressional legislation he would enforce, particularly on immigration. But what keeps the president from crossing a line? Civil society. Right now, Americans would never accept a total takeover of power by an autocrat, no matter who it was. Authorities would revolt, massive protests would take place, and the aspiring autocrat would be forced to back down. The main role of the press in our society is to keep watch, and make sure that when constitutional restrictions are bypassed or ignored, the American people are informed about it. Has the press deviated from this role and turned into a public opinion gatekeeper that shapes stories to fit a narrative? Probably, yes. But the main goal of the press, to protect our freedoms, remains, and is too important to sacrifice in the name of frustration with media bias. Hold the press accountable for instances of bias. Criticize misleading stories. Demand honest journalism. But don't get in the way of the critical role journalism plays in our society. There are fates much worse than a biased media. You're listening to Liberties and Policies, because you can have both. Maintenance of a free society is a very difficult and complicated thing. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. But power must be restrained because no one knows who will next hold that power. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Liberties and Policies. I am your host, Andrew, and of course Andy is back. He wouldn't miss it for the world, right Andy? Only because I have no better way to spend my weekend. Just kidding. I love being here, and, I, and hopefully you'll love the episode, too. They're already listening. You don't have to do that. <laughs> so we're going to spend this episode discussing the role of the media. Now, there's a bit of a risk of repeating ourselves from our politica, political ethics slash fake news episode, but, you know, too bad. We feel this is important, and we want to discuss this. Andy and I have a feeling that most of what you've heard about Trump's war on the media has come from either the left or rhinos like Lindsey Graham or John McCain. You know, the usual suspects to criticize the right. Rhinos being Republican in name only. Yes, thank you, Andy. Uh, so we want to discuss this a little bit beyond just, you know, Trump is Hitler and his supporters are brown shirts or something like that. So let's go ahead and start with the news issue at hand. 
Recently, President Trump denied some news organizations access to press briefings. These news organizations included the New York Times, Politico, BBC, CNN, The Guardian, and of course, Trump's poster child of fake news, BuzzFeed. Arguably the actual poster child. But anyway, um, this is hardly Trump's first run-in with the press also. Uh, During the campaign, he repeatedly got engaged in a war of words with what he called the, quote, failing New York Times. And after the campaign, he called the press the, quote, enemy of the people and famously pronounced CNN fake news after they ran with BuzzFeed's golden shower story. If you'd forgotten about that, first, how? And second, I'm sorry for reminding you. Now, if you think that we're exaggerating by suggesting that Trump has some kind of running war with the media, I'll let Trump respond for us. As you know, I have a running war with the media. Right. So there's that. But we we should stop right here because most pundits say what we've said up to this point correctly in our opinion, then they go off the rails. Um, the only thing that we love more than liberties and policies in in this podcast is context. So without further ado, a dying art in American politics. Context. Yeah, I love some kind of like context effect with upbeat effect music there. If any of you are listening and you want to make one, I'd love to use it. So send it to our email if you can. All right. So so let's <laughs> go ahead and start with some of the history of presidential media relations, right? Freedom of the press is something that has a rather long history in the United States. So we feel it's pretty important to cover some of the historical achievements of the media to understand why media freedom matters. Right. So Trump does not even come close to taking the award for president with the worst relationship with the press in American history. Although he's quickly making his way up there. Very true. But that honor is reserved solely for John Adams, who passed the Alien and Sedition Acts way back in 1798. These acts, passed in a climate of fear of of the threat of the French, restricted immigration and outlawed public criticism of the government. 20 opposition newspaper editors were punished for violating this act, and Congressman Matthew Lyon of Vermont was even jailed for this, and he was actually reelected from his jail cell. So despite the extreme and blatant violation of the Bill of Rights this represented, this was prior to the establishment of the concept of judicial review, and the Supreme Court was made up of government-friendly Federalists anyway. The portions of the law affecting government treatment of the press were not repealed until the opposition Democratic-Republicans gained power. So, I think that this is a, this is a good time to talk about um, a little bit tying this in with the intro, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked a lot about um, this concept of tyranny, that word is thrown around a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and, you know, people are, in general, afraid when government power goes against what they believe in. Right. Right. Um, but I mean, we see here, right? This is uh, you know, this is John Adams. This guy was a founding father, right? And uh, for for the most part, re- Republicans, uh, you know, conservatives, you know, me included, tend to love our founding fathers. We love to talk about them. Mm-hmm. But you know, here is a case of one who has stepped off the rails and you know, done something completely against the cause of freedom. Right. Yeah. I I think. On the one hand, you know, we're not we're not trying to say that we're in danger of passing the Alien and Sedition Acts anytime soon. Of course, it was a totally different climate. But on the other hand, it does show how that even in a country like ours, which has, you know, constitutional limits on what you can do, this was still able to happen. And and like you said, by by a founding father who we always think of, you know, we very rarely criticize the founding fathers for not being um, appreciative enough of of 
freedoms for their time. So I, I think this this can you know shed some light on what is possible even even if we think that we're incapable of doing that in our country. But I think it's also it's also important to realize that I mean the the fact that um, you know John Adams is in some ways similar to to President Trump. Yeah, right? thin skin. Um, yeah. yeah, they both seem to have you know very thin skin. Yeah, um, you know, un, unwilling to to accept insults, unwilling to accept criticism. Right. Um, I mean, while Trump hasn't actively tried to jail anybody right he has incited violence at his um at his rallies right mm-hmm. he's um you know made statements um on his twitter uh publicly criticizing uh news organizations and individual journalists and individual journalists as well so it's not unfair to draw a comparison between the two right right all right. Well, let's let's move on with some more of the the history of the pres- relationship between the president and the press. So this is a topic people write entire books about. But the beginning of the modern press presidential relationship dynamic came about more or less around the time of Woodrow Wilson, who held the first ever presidential press conference. Back then, press conferences were much less about the person holding the press conference being on the defensive, and much more about being on the offensive. In other words, press conferences were intended as a means by which the president could interact with the public and sell his agenda. Two of the most successful presidents in terms of popularity were FDR and uh, Calvin Coolidge, and they held the most and second most press conferences respectively. Even around the time of FDR, however, press conferences were only beginning to be seen as an opportunity for the press to interrogate the president, and not nearly to the same extent that they are today. So, what changed? Well, the press conferences stopped being as much of a propaganda session. And for that, we need to look a little bit later in history at the Vietnam War era. Mm -hmm. The Vietnam War was the first U.S. conflict to be largely televised, and that fact changed everything. In all of its previous wars, the U.S. government was able to make use of extensive propaganda and glorify warfare, which sent millions of young enlistees to their deaths. And the Vietnam War era, though, um, was extremely different because it demonstrated the power of the media in turning public opinion away from warfare and towards peace. And most notably, President Johnson was quoted as saying, if I lost Cronkite, I've lost middle America, which refers to Walter Cronkite, the well-respected CBS anchor. Right. So why does the story of, you know, media during the time of Vietnam matter? Well, Vietnam demonstrated a good case of the media fighting back against government deception. Government holds power, but it has little obligation to tell you, the public, if the power entrusted to it is well used. In fact, it has more of an incentive not to, uh, to continue operating in the shadows where it is unhindered by that accountability, especially when it is doing something wrong. But the media was the bulwark against that. The media helped keep Americans informed, make informed decisions, and understand the full gravity of the government's actions. So, I mean, let's, let's... Talk about this for a second. I mean, the the media redefined itself during this era as more of a watchdog of the of the government, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, it's like the the insta- the use of televised news actually allowed for uh, Americans to be able to see that actual warfare was so different from what was in the propaganda, right? To the point that it changed public opinion. Now, I'm not saying that the media was the only thing, yeah. right? Um, it's, the casualty numbers were quickly rising during the Vietnam War, right? Nobody wanted to see their their uh, children, um, you know, their husbands being sent out for for uh, the conflict, right? But 
I mean, the, the media played a large role in getting that information to the public. Yeah, I mean, when we think of the first first half of the 20th century, we're, we're often thinking about the ways in which political leaders harnessed media tools. Like we think of think of Hitler, for example, and how he was able to spread propaganda through his his control of the media. But it's in this it's especially in the second half of the century where we really see the media taking on power of its own. Um, we see that the media has has found that it has a it has a role outside of being in in the government's uh, the government's good graces. And I, th- I think that's especially important, um, and it's it's largely because most people don't have the resources that a lot of these news organizations are going to have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't have the time to take time from our day to to fly out to Vietnam to to record the conflict and see it for ourselves, and certainly most of us don't uh, you know, aren't willing to risk our lives for that story, right? right. Or have the connections, um, or have the connections, right? Or the or the clearance to to, to get out there. Right. So I think the the Vietnam War era essentially redefined the media as a as a way of bringing the story to the American public, mm-hmm. right? Uh, allowing the American public to to make an accurate judgment on whether or not the government is actually telling the truth, whether or not the government is actually being held accountable for its actions. Uh, but I mean, it's not it's not even like the Vietnam era media, as you know, prolific as it was, managed to find everything. Uh, the Pentagon Papers was a crucial classified document uh it detailed how multiple administrations truman eisenhower kennedy and johnson all lied to the american public about the extent of the u.s involvement in vietnam and that document was classified but it was later leaked by a whistleblower and it's you know people looked over the document as not as if the document was of imminent harm to national security either uh because you know there's justifiable reason to hide it if you know, there's names of, of spies or right. or um, you know military personnel, but you know the Supreme Court looked over that document later and it ruled that the, in a Supreme Court case that there there was no harm to national security. But what what that did show is that the government has a history of deceiving the public when convenient. They hid these papers, and it was only until a whistleblower came out and leaked it that the public was able to gain access to the information. Mm-hmm. But Maybe we're going a little bit far, right? Maybe the Trump administration is a little different, right? And maybe Americans think that it is trustworthy, right? Still, it does seem to me that the Trump era conservatives have forgotten how to fear the government uh, now that they've someone they found that someone they like has come into office, right? Just because the government seems trustworthy doesn't mean that the, the knowledge of what the government is doing isn't important, right? And what what better example of that than Watergate? Uh, as any guy who wears bow ties on a daily basis will tell you, Watergate was the event which forever changed the president-press relationship. Watergate was the moment where American distrust of their government exploded, resulting in a corresponding increase that investigative journalism had for society. Um, Americans wanted journalists to expose government corruption more than ever, and finding corruption on the part of the top-level presidents was the best kind to find, goldmine. This is really where the modern press-president relationship came into its full form. The press's role in civil society as the watchers of the government and the watchdogs that ensured that the government was operating within its constitutional and legal constraints was fully developed. So I think in a lot of ways there's an argument to be made that Watergate was actually a good thing for American society. Some healthy skepticism about the motives of the government can only be a good thing. 
So why isn't this kind of water gate, uh, investigative journalism being done today? I mean, we hear the word gate being tied to everything, but yeah. now it's like Bend Gate and like Pizza Gate, right? Um, you know, <laughs> so why why is this investigative journalism of of the government, um, you know, looking into these important members of of uh, the 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 government not being done today? Well, I I think you can make you can make the argument that the fact that it exists has sort of a deterrent effect. Um, so, you know, the government knows it can't get away with, for example, burglar, burglary in another uh, another party's headquarters. <laughs> um, so that might have, that sort of might dissuade the government from doing things like that, in which case that's exactly what we want. Um, I mean, that is true. Right. right. Politics used to look completely different. There were political machines that were basically running gangs that um, you know, got people out to vote, right? Um, so certainly politics has been cleaned up a lot. Right, right. or they're better um, at hiding it. Or they're better at hiding it, right? <laughs> but the, the question, I mean, the, another big issue with investigative journalism is just how expensive it is. Right. right? I mean, if you think about it, right, with, with the fact that print news is um, still slowly going out of business with the rise of internet, right? I mean, internet news has made a, made a role for itself, right? But it's difficult to fund the, the investigative journalism practice if people aren't taking the time out to be informed. Right. Right. Especially since investigative journalism is a lot of work that ends up turning into nothing. I mean, because you have to look for uh, somewhere that the government is doing something wrong. And, you know, most places you're not going to find it. And or so that's that's essentially just time wasted for the organization. So a lot of lot of pulling at the strings, looking at leads that could turn up and turn up nothing. Exactly. Um, And it's expensive and not necessarily as uh, as. You know, well-paying as you know, reporting the the day the day-to-day news, mm-hmm. right? Um, but you know, that being said, uh, there's still a role for investigative journalism out there. Sure. There's still there's still journalists who who continue to to look into the the things that the government is doing wrong. I mean, um, this is how we get the stories that have, that have been going on recently about um, you know, Michael Flynn, for instance, um, is, you know, people, people looking into these stories, people getting this information. Right. And I mean, I, I do think that that's why it's important for us to have a strong American media, right. That operates independently from the government. Right. Sure. Investigative journalism is still, is still alive and well. I, I, you see a lot of, a lot of the stories that you've seen over the past year. And I think, I think there's been a lot more than normal have come from, someone just doing the research so i kind of want to talk a little bit um about well president obama right you i mean we compare obama to trump a lot on this show <laughs> and um i kind of wanted to ask well how how did obama do with the press right i know we know that he's a he's a popular figure mm-hmm. uh amongst the the internet community a lot of the younger generation but what was his relationship like with the press specifically just right. for comparison he, he certainly ran on a on a platform of being of providing a very open administration but uh, he had quietly by any standard a horrendous relationship with the press especially fox news his administration subpoenaed a fox news reporter's computer and phone records and essentially called the reporter a traitor after the reporter published a story with information that he received from a state department official fox news was also excluded from significant interviews similar to what trump is doing with the um, these press briefings and uh, the administration declared that they were going to stop treating fox news like a news network Obama also held so few press 
conferences that the Columbia Journalism Review declared the distance between the president and the press greater than in half a century. Perhaps most importantly, the Obama administration set a record for the number of Freedom of Information Act requests that it refused. Pretty much every press freedom group, right or left, has declared that Obama has set up Trump to pr treat the press however he likes because of how Obama treated the press. Now, I do remember that Obama also got into a you know, seven-year-long court battle with this New York Times reporter, James Risen, trying to force him to reveal his sources in a leak, right? Um, I mean, not to mention the whole thing with Edward Snowden and whistleblowing. I mean, his administration prosecuted three times the number of whistleblowers as all previous administrations combined, right? Right. Um, so, you know, talking about um, this kind of stuff, I wanted to get a little bit into discussing whistleblowers because I think it's very relevant, right? Um, but I do want to ask, like, you know, our source is not important, right? For someone like Risen, right, you know, mm -hmm. who's written this article relying on this um, this leak, right? Um, you know, are are we not are we not worried that his leak might have come from someone unreliable, right? You know, like why didn't this why shouldn't we encourage this whistleblower to go through the legal whistleblower channels, right? Right. So, well, as far as sources, I think one thing that makes us that's that's the reason why we care about what news outlet is publishing this information. I mean, no matter what you might think of, you know, the Washington Post or the New York Times. When they publish a story, it's after rigorous research and after they've they've checked it and make, made sure that the source they're they're using is reliable. So that's something that that's a privilege, I guess, that those sort of upper tier sources get because they they know that people know that they have done the research to back it up. But as far as legal whistleblower channels, I mean, there's a lot of problems with those. There's there's always the risk of some sort of retaliation, even when there are legal prohibitions against it. Um, and also, I mean, there's there's all kinds of cases where people have tried to go through the legal whistleblower channels and, you know, gotten slapped with government sanctions because of it. Right. And I mean, I think the, the most uh, best case of this most recently is um, is Chelsea Manning, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, whistleblower who got prosecuted on and, and or put on a court martial and you know, still living in prison today, right? Um, right? And I mean the the whole the whole thing you're talking about on on the the integrity of sources being you know investigated by these news sources. Keep in mind that they're also staking their credibility right. on that article. Right. right? Um, now, you know, news sources like CNN have gotten things wrong, right? And they have been criticized for it, right? Um, so it's not it's not to say that you know I I wouldn't watch CNN sometimes because I do you know when I'm sitting in an airport mm -hmm. but the the point that I'm trying to make is that you know CNN is staking its credibility and if CNN does does things like this where it reports on unreliable information often enough right people will start treating CNN like BuzzFeed right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I also watch CNN when I'm in the dentist chair and don't have access to the remote. But, I mean, yeah, exactly like what you said with BuzzFeed. I mean, BuzzFeed published that article about, or the story about the golden showers thing. I'm sorry to go back to that. But they published that story, and they didn't really, they had no real, uh, they had not done the journalistic work. And that's one of the reasons why people don't trust a story that comes out of BuzzFeed, because it's kind of known as crappy journalism. So that's... That's exactly what you're talking about. When when sort when uh, news outlets publish these these stories without doing the research to back it up, then it's a lot worse for them than if they just no never published the story at all. 
Right. So, I mean, back to the whistleblowers thing. I mean, I think I think you're you're completely right about the legal whistleblower channel sometimes being very very dangerous to follow, right? You know, whistleblowers are people who are staking their lives out to get information to the public that they mm-hmm. want the public to to receive, understand, and also take with the fact that, you know, they are risking their lives to get this information to you, right? Right. Um, and most of the time it's something important, some transgression the government has uh, has gone through, right? Uh, you know, when we're talking we were talking about the Pentagon papers earlier, right? Um, you know, this is the, this is the government taking actions um, that exceeded what Amer- American um, you know, the American public knew about during the Vietnam War, right? When we're talking about Edward Snowden, it's you know, the government Ill- illegally wiretapping people, mm-hmm. right? Um, and if we didn't have whistleblowers, many of these things that fall into this national security bubble that most people aren't able to touch, right? You know, this information would never get to the American public. And the danger of the whistleblower going through the legal whistleblower channel is that this information may never find the light because they could, they could, um, you know, be prosecuted and silenced before that even happens. Right. I mean, I think a lot of times when government officials will pay lip service to whistleblower protections, they're really talking about when some mid-level guy at the Department of Agriculture finds that someone fudged a number on, you know, what the price, things that don't really have national security implications. But when we see things like Edward Snowden's example, that where if he had tried to go through the legal channels, he would have gotten shut down. So, you know, they don't want to be, they don't really want to have to confront the consequences of whistleblowing. They they just they want to pay lip service and say yes we're being open of course i mean yeah like going back to the pentagon papers example like i mean i did mention that they had to go through a whole court case on it right right because the government was trying to put a restraining order on further publicization of it right, right? simply be- simply because that information made the the administration look bad right there was no national security risk to it the supreme court later ruled that but they didn't they didn't want that information getting out because it makes the president look like they did something against the American public. Right. And sort of on a similar note, if you if you ever try to submit a Freedom of Information Act request, a lot of times you get shut down because of pretty trivial reasons, but and especially under the Obama administration. Like I said, this was something they were known for. But oftentimes things like the Freedom of Information Act will exist, but when you try to get interesting information out of it, they will do everything they can to stonewall you. And they always have a way of preventing that information from being released. There's all kinds of things that can make a a, a document dis, not allowable for, or not applicable for the Freedom of Information Act. And they will they will do anything they can to put the, put it in that that category. Like, I think the way that they, they tried to, tried to um, you know, like, ban lawsuits or, like, um, you know, information about, like, the... the uh, surveillance program you know i'm getting a little off topic here but they, you know the way that they did it was like because you can't you can't know if you're one of the people surveilled so you can't file a lawsuit against them right like there's a lot of these uh, they'll be like how do you know you, you you were being surveilled right um and like so there there's a lot of these ways that the government can use to get around it yeah. and so and i think I, I think when we when we start talking about the media right um the the government is essentially trying to prevent anything that could harm the administration from mm-hmm. getting to the public, right? And it has a vested interest in making sure that the public stays misinformed, at least on these issues, right? Um, and 
this is not just the Trump administration. The Obama administration, as we've talked about, has done this, and pretty much every administration at some extent. Right. So that that kind of ties into what we want, what we're going to talk about next, which is, you know, why should conservatives care about Trump's war with the media? And first reason why is, you know, if you get anything out of this episode, it should be that it is not just Trump's war on the media. It's a war on media on the media from the Oval Office that has been raging since the beginning of the country. And it certainly has intensified since Trump, since Obama's administration, and Trump is just continuing the pattern. So even if you are a huge fan of Trump, you should still be concerned about the way that he tries to manipulate the press, because presidents have been doing this for a long time and likely will continue doing it after Trump. War on the press is a war on the American people's ability to keep their government in check. I think this is especially important since this is always described as something unique to Trump, when really Trump is just more overt in how he treats the press than other presidents have been. And, I mean, I think the second, the most important thing is is the fact that this war on the, you know, on the media fosters distrust of the media and truth in general, mm-hmm. right? So we've talked about it, sure, CNN gets facts wrong every so often, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, every news source does at some point in time, right? Uh, but the alternatives to the situation are not much better and most likely worse, right? I mean, you could take the government's word on what they're doing, which from what we talked about is probably not very reliable, right? Uh, you could also try to go f- find out the facts yourself, right? But unless you've got, you know, press clearance, right, security clearance. A lot um, of time. And a lot of time on your hands, <laughs> not to mention money because, yeah. um, you know, traveling is expensive and talking to these people and getting – getting um you know the appointments to them uh to their meeting up with them like this is this is work that takes a lot of time and money Mm -hmm. right and the the press you know given that this is their job right they have the resources beyond the average american right Right. so you want to go get the the facts yourself you could right but most people take the last route which is being happy in their ignorance right um which inevitably is is leading to a more uninformed public right Right. i mean there's there's evidence of this effect already only 14 percent of republicans say that they have a great or fair amount of trust in the media today and that's compared to 32 percent just a year ago i mean i would not say that i have a great amount of trust in the media but i certainly have a fair amount of trust especially in the the top level the top echelon of sources right um this is the same for other this or this decline is the same for other people of other political persuasions as well. I mean, independent trust in the media has dropped three points in that same time, and Democratic trust four points. Meanwhile, a poll earlier this month found that Americans consider Trump to be more truthful than the news media. So, what what I really think is more important here to uh, to people who have a deep seated distrust of the media is the bias, right? So, I don't think we can deny that bias exists. The field of journalism is dominated by younger people in cities, so it's not exactly shocking that they're overwhelmingly liberal. But bias takes the form of the stories journalists choose to cover. They'll cover the stories about protests at Republican town halls and gloss over the fact that vulnerable Democratic senators up for election in 2018 are skipping town halls. They'll write stories about the tweets some Twitter personality wrote in response to a Republican politician, or stories that make Republicans look bad or hypocritical, while ignoring it when the same thing happens to Democrats. This happens, bias exists, and it shows itself in the perspective journalists provide to their their articles, even when they're trying to keep it out. But where bias does not show itself is in the facts. Journalists 
almost never make up facts. And when they do, they get hammered for it or work for BuzzFeed. Occasionally, <laughs> they make mistakes or present facts misleadingly, but just making them up is not something they do. I think that when we criticize the media for being fake news, we discredit the very real grievances that we have about the truth that, or about the form that media bias does take. Right. And I, I think, you know, fake news does exist, right? We know that there mm. are facts that are wrong, that are intentionally propagated at right. times, right? But the majority of it is uh, uh, is what you were talking about with media bias, where people look at this certain issue and they're like, well, Obama probably wasn't any better if they're a Trump fan. Or they look at Trump and they rail at him talking about how Obama was perfect on this front, right? And, um, you know, like people who get all up in arms about immigration after Trump gets into office, right, really don't don't see the other side of the line, which we've talked about with Obama and immigration and how he has a terrible record on deportations, right? Something like that. Right. And so this, the, the issue is that, um, you know, while, while media outlets try to be, uh, you know, try to act as if they're impartial, right? Their choice in stories can impart a certain amount of bias, mm-hmm. right? Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think they're still reporting the facts and regardless, you know, whether or not it's right or wrong, right, is something that can be verified. Right. I mean, again, we're not talking about, like, these obscure, you know, obscure sites that are just make stuff up. We're talking about things like Politico, The Hill, uh, CNN, sort of, uh, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, things like that. Um, another thing is that outrage journalism has been really has really been a thing that's been exacerbated by the rise of social media. I mean, as I've mentioned before, news outlets, especially online news outlets, really make their make their money off clicks and shares so what they often do is they'll you know they'll aim for stories that cause more outrage because you don't share something that's like oh okay you know you share something that makes that makes you want to explode because it's so absurd and so oftentimes they will kind of frame things a little bit as if you know there's there's something ridiculous going on whereas it's a lot more complicated than that, but people don't want complicated. People want outrage. So I, I, I think that's something that, you know, the that's a form that media bias has taken, especially since, you know, social media is dominated by, by more liberal-leaning people. Right. Um, so that's, I think, is the, the true, you know, test of whether or not you really see the media as something that is beneficial, is whether or not you can see past the bias, right, and understand the importance of you know, facts being delivered, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, watching a watching a liberal news source is certainly going to give you the facts on more of the things that you can bring up that criticize conservatives, right? Watching conservative news source will give you the same facts that uh, same facts, but in a different light that you can use to criticize liberals, right? Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you're still getting the facts. You're still staying informed. Right. Right. On the on the other hand, right, um, having a war against the having a war against the media, going right out and saying that you don't want to be informed because you're afraid of being misinformed, right, uh, or you're 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 afraid that everything is fake news, right, is is basically cr- creating more of the problem, right. Right. I mean, you're you're taking power away from yourself when you do that. The I think a better way is to hold the media accountable for things like this. When they right. when they do have forms of, of bias, you know, 
voice your outrage about it and voice your displeasure make sure they know that they can't get away with that but when you just say that you know i'm not going to trust cnn at all or i'm not going to trust new york times at all because they tend to be more critical of trump new york times will often post stories that are investigating things that you know think that people in our government are doing wrong and they'll do that whether it's obama in power or uh or, or Trump in power. And when you, when, you ta- when you refuse to listen to them, you're taking away power from yourself because you're, you're, you're discrediting anything that comes from that. And maybe the government gets away with something that they wouldn't have otherwise if you would have just believed this story that came out of the New York Times. Right. And so I do think mm-hmm. it's fair that people will criticize CNN. Right. And you, know, like, you can laugh and joke that CNN is fake news because <laughs> you know, they, they stake their credibility on something that was not true. Right. But at the same time, to completely dismiss CNN as, as fake news, to dismiss anything that goes against your point of view as fake news, right, is something that is, I would say, beyond um, you know, the scope of, of what informed uh, pu- the informed public should be doing. Right. And certainly Trump encouraging that has has made a real negative impact on on the public's perception of the media. Right. I mean, I have I have very publicly on this on this podcast made my displeasure with CNN well known. I mean, <laughs> I, they have a lot of people on there that are really terrible journalists, such as Don Lemon, in my opinion. Um, but on the other hand, they also do run a lot of good stories. And for the most part, things that come out of CNN are true. They're not just making stuff up for the most part. Um, so, you know, well, I, I don't like to watch CNN because they're like, they're like political entertainment, essentially. Um, they still do occasionally write good stories. And when they do, we, or we shouldn't just assume that something that comes from CNN is untrue because it came from CNN. Right. And going back to what we were talking about earlier, the last reason why conservatives should care about the war against the media is the threat that this war has on government whistleblowers. Now, keep in mind, we've talked about government whistleblowers are one of the biggest ways in which the public can hold the government accountable. Right. The threat of whistleblowers, an active whistleblower community, right, makes sure that the government does not exceed the bounds that the public provides for for, for it. Mm-hmm. Right. And many times because whistleblowers fear persecution from the government, they'll give this information that they, they have, you know, like Edward Snowden, um, you know, the guy who released the Pentagon Papers, they'll give this information to credible news sources, right, with the hopes that the information is carefully handled and carefully disseminated. So this happened with the Pentagon Papers, happened with the Snowden leaks, right? And it's likely to happen with other uh, whistleblowing events as well. Also, credible news organizations tend to have more money. And when you have more money, you have more money to go into a legal battle. So, you know, there's a financial incentive to leak to a credible news source as well, because, you know, if the government does sue you, like with like with James Risen, the New York Times had the resources to go to the court to go to court against the U.S. government. Some other more, you know small or out there organizations probably wouldn't right but i mean if news organizations are discredited by the government and people stand by the government right Mm -hmm. then the whistleblowers would have a difficult time getting this information to a source that would be trusted right um if trump denounces the new york times denounces the washington post denounces the bbc right you know if this next whistleblower has something uh huge on how the Trump administration is violating American liberties, right? Who is this whistleblower going to give it to, right? What news source is credible enough 
and reliable enough that they would report and uh, report a story that goes against President Trump, right? So given that whistleblowers are such an important avenue to understanding what governments are doing beyond the eyes of the public, discrediting news sources would only make the Trump administration more impervious to criticism. Right, and like we said before, just weakens just weakens the American citizenry. All right, well, that's it for us today. Uh, make sure to share this episode with your friends to start the subtle brainwashing process and like us on Facebook so Andy won't have to cry himself to sleep because of the crushing meaninglessness of it all. Well, geez, maybe I won't be back next week. Sure you won't. Also, right. send us any questions, comments, or context sound effects to libertiesandpolicies at gmail.com. See you in a couple weeks. Government is the problem.